Reclaiming Identity. Sharing stories of struggle, pride, and redemption in reconnecting with our heritage. Hi, I'm Drora. And I'm Dahlia. And we're bringing you Reclaiming Identity as part of the Jewish Unity Through Diversity Institute. How do you fit into the Jewish narrative? Is your family what pops up when people think of Jews? At Reclaiming Identity, we celebrate and explore Jewish diversity by listening, appreciating, and embracing Jewish stories from around the world. Join us in spreading the word by sharing these podcasts with your friends and family. And become a part of the journey. Listen to other people's stories, ask questions, be curious, and reclaim your identity. Today, we welcome Bijay. Bijay opened and runs the Tzion Cafe in Harlem, New York, and she opened it in 2014. On the website, it says, we're a place with Pan-African love, Black Israeli pride, and a passion for delicious food. We harmonize flavors from Ethiopia, Israel, and the ever-diverse New York. I love that you harmonize the diversity to play on our words, unity through diversity, harmonizing the diversity. I love that. So welcome, Bujay, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk to you. And also, it's making me a little hungry, I have to say, just thinking about the website and the food. But let's start. Tell us a little bit about your personal story. Who are you? Well, uh, first, thank you for having me, Drora. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, started Zion Cafe in 2014, bringing the delicious flavors of Ethiopia, Israel, and uh, and beyond to celebrate the unique aspect of you know Jewish diversity and inclusion via food. Uh, I was born in Ethiopia at a very young age, uh, about four years old, immigrated to Israel via a journey to Sudan. And all of that is basically to... Um, fulfill a prophecy by returning to the promised land, our ancient land, our forefather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, So uh, Ethiopian Jews, uh, my community in particular, decided to make that journey uh, to fulfill- Tell us which community it is, which which city? The Beta Israel community. But which Uh, particular region are you from? Okay, so uh, yeah. I was born in Tigray, is the northern part of Ethiopia, actually one of the ancient uh, uh, kingdoms of Aksum, and I come from that region, Tigray, we speak Tigrinya there. Yeah, it was a whole mobilization of a whole community uh, receiving letters from Israel and so forth that it's time eventually to fulfill the prophecy and start the journey to Israel. So from Tigray, walking through Sudan, eventually staying in Sudan for a couple of years, and from there making the Aliyah uh, to Tzion, Yerushalayim. So I am from Tigray, Aksum, Shira, ancient kingdom of uh, Tigray of Ethiopia. So you mentioned also that you're part of the Beta Israel community, which is the larger um, Ethiopian community. And did you call yourself there, or I guess you were four when you left? But did the community call themselves Beta Israel when they were there? Yes, uh, Bet Israel. You know, our neighbors, uh, the Muslim, the Christian, they knew of who of our religion, of who we are, and uh, you know, we, I, you know, where I come from. Yeah, you have this notion, a lot of stories of 
being prosecuted in a way I don't recall any prosecution within my area, my family and so forth, but it's all varied, different communities, different stories. Uh, we were a, a permanent Jewish community that had a great relationship with our neighbors, uh, invite them to weddings and so forth and events. So uh, yeah, we we were known as Bet Israel, Beta Israel, or Ethiopian Jews, and not Falasha. Falasha is a derogatory term that a lot of people refer to the Ethiopian Jewish community, which is the meaning of it is uh, somebody stranger, somebody who is not belonging to this particular land. That's a term that I would recommend not to use uh, if you are not uh, familiar of the meaning of it. It's uh, one of those things that just kind of sticks on. And at the beginning, in the 90s, beginning of the 90s, people were using that as the term and not knowing that it was a negative term. So that's important for you to point out. So thank you. So now let's talk about you left, you were a child, right? You don't remember too much of it. You went to Sudan, you said you were for a few years. So by the time you got to Israel, how old were you? Seven. Seven, okay. So you come from this community where everybody is at least similar to you. You might not speak exactly the same dialect or exactly the same, but everybody is similar to you in the look, in the language, in the practices. Tell us a little bit about coming to Israel. We all thought, Ethiopian Jews, we thought we're the only Jews. Uh, the old Jews look like me. That's the only thing I we knew and we felt. When we arrived to Israel and we saw the, the diverse complexion and array of colors, it was shocking to see in a way, because we always, as I said, deeply believed <laughs> That Jews look only like me, it's vice versa. Uh, and I believe the white Israeli as well thought they are the only one or the Ashkenazi, the Polish, they thought the only Jew. So the beauty within you know, Jewish diaspora is that there is no one particular look to Judaism. There are array of haze, a hues of that make us rich and unique as it is. And I think we have to emphasize that aspect uh, among Jews here in North America or what have you. Jewish Jewish people come in many hues and colors and we have to embrace and, and be open to celebrate and accept one another. That's my uh, belief. As I said, I, I, publicly I announce it very much so who I am, as you I said earlier in the website, I'm black, I'm Israeli, I'm Ethiopian, I'm a woman, and I'm proud of those heritage because it make me who I am and I'm willing to celebrate it and share it with everybody else. So I yeah. love that, I'm with you. So, but let's go back. I'm sure it wasn't always this way. And I wanna talk about the point where you turned to that way, but let's talk about before first. When you got to Israel, were you in a community, an Ethiopian community, or were you integrated into the rest of the Jewish community? Well, you know, in terms of the whole integration process, uh, when we arrived in 1983 and there were a little bit of Ethiopian Jews there in Israel, mainly the Sohnut, what have you, they put us in an absorption center. It's an integration center where you're supposed to uh, learn Hebrew, they put you in Ulpan, and even into the point of... Uh, uh, you had to go to the conversion to Judaism. Uh, if you are not Jewish enough, all of that, yeah, it wasn't a pleasant. It was, it was degrading. I would say disrespectful 
for uh, Ethiopian Jewish community that had been practicing Judaism for thousands of years. And of all of a sudden, somebody just questioning us because we don't look like them. So it wasn't rosy as, you know, <laughs> as a lot of people might think. There were a lot of issues in terms of integrating and so forth. It took a while for people to accept the existence of brown people like me into mainstream Judaism. Uh, and, you know, the question is, why is that? Why do we need to prove ourselves that we are Jewish? Uh, do we ever question you as a white Jew? What is your ancestor, where you come from? Why we're not in a point where we're not welcoming and, and just let it be as that? It's not only about color, because there are plenty of other, I, I personally know a few that had difficulty um, being accepted in Israel, white, brown, everywhere in between. Um, so I'm just saying, yes, as a group, it was the Bete Israel that had this issue, but it goes beyond as well. So I'm just putting that out there, but talk about the integration, sorry. <laughs> well, you see, if you wanna go further in, yeah. I mean, there is always the issue of Mizrahi and Ashkenazi. Yemenite or Moroccan woman could marry a Polish boy back then? No, so that it, it doesn't justify that, you know. No, no. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, the Yemenite went through that, the Moroccan went through that, the Tunisian went through that. But yet it never, it shouldn't be the place of questioning anybody because he looked different than the normative, maybe. I don't know what to call it, normative Jew. What is a Jew? Who is a Jew, really? You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Let's leave it at that. And I think um, we, we should have more discussion and dialogue with people, really. What is Jewish for you in any way? Who is Jewish? Yeah, we have a whole course on that talking about if I'm different outside than I am inside, am I a Jew? So yeah, we're on the same page there. But let's, okay, we're going back to your story. Sorry, I make it broader. Um, <laughs> talk about your integration. You're converted now. So now you're really Jewish, right? <laughs> and I'm putting that in quotes for everybody. I'm just saying that was... <laughs> you know, it's funny, uh, you converted. It's, it's even uh, the point where the conversion per se happened without the knowledge of the people there was they were misled you know whenever ethiopian jews were in the observation center and they tell them we're going on a field trip we're going to immerse in some water and that is misleading because people didn't know the meaning or the purpose of it as it is Nobody told them you're going to be converting right now. It's just going to a mikveh. So that's a whole notion of misleading the people because the moment they knew of the whole process and what it meant, people start saying, no, we're not going. They know, you know, and demonstration in front of the Knesset and saying why we are converting. So that's what it is. You see the first Aliyot from 1983, 82, uh, I mean, 82, 83, 84, they're all misled. We're going on a field trip, going into immersive water, and you are now uh, you immersing in water. Nobody indicated that was a conversion, wow. you see? So it's a lot of, uh, I would say, just unjust or undermining or whatever. I don't know even the word to describe it. It's demeaning too. I mean, that's... It is what's been done to my community when they immigrated to Israel. 
you, you left the absorption center and now you're in an Ethiopian community? So you see the process is after a year or two, uh, you know, uh, they try to help you integrate, learn the language and so forth. And after a year or two, you basically go to uh, a permanent housing, not a trailer, right? And you are basically integrated to Israeli society, right? Which is, you know, I think from the beginning, there was no need for only a, a trailer center for those Ethiopian Jews to be segregated in and eventually to learn the Hebrew. In order for a group to integrate better, you put them in between. You don't isolate them. That's a wrong practice that, you know, kind of led from one mistake to the other. But nonetheless, from there, you go live in a town that you want to live. You choose where you have family members, what have you. And this, when we, my family chose to go to Ashkelon and cause I had uncles that immigrated, you know, early in the sixties and seventies. So we wanted to be near them. And from there you just like, you know, Israeli uh, citizen, you try to find your way of living and be a, a, a contributing citizen uh, of the land. After that, you were just in schools, you were learning the mainstream Ashkenormative Jewish story in schools. But yet you kept the traditions at home. Yes. So when did you decide that this is who I am and I'm going to say, I know my education, I know what I had, but this is who I really am inside and I'm going to embrace that. Like to open your Tzion Cafe, to say, this is who I am, or even before that, I don't know. Well, you see, you know, as a, as a young woman growing up in Israel, 10, 11, 12, to find trying to find your place uh, within this, a lot's happening. As I said, I decided to go try life in a kibbutz because it, it was very attractive to me, the way of cooperative way of living. And I wanted to be part of that uh, movement. So I, I moved to a kibbutz, uh, kibbutz Alumim in the South is near, oh, wow. all of that stuff is one of those kibbutzim that was attacked on October 7th and all of that. And it was a, way of just to be of the Israeli dream, uh, being contributing member to work the land and go to school. And eventually after that, it led me to go join the army. And after the army, I decided I wanted to go uh, travel, be a wandering Jew with a backpack throughout the Americas. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, starting from North America, Central and South. Uh, and this is where basically I would just wondering to see who what what who am i you know what i mean who am i we all have that phase in our life but i always stay true to my heritage upbringing no matter what after the trip i went back to israel and uh, after a few years decided to come to new york again coming to new york trying to find a belonging a place uh, uh, going to synagogue back then in the early 2000s, you always have to tell stories. Who are you? Are you the babysitter? Or are you just a, a congruent, a, a member of the Jewish community who's trying to worship and find belonging? So, you know, it wasn't as easy. The Jewish community back then wasn't as accepting and open. If you look different, you always, so how are you, Jew? Tell me your story. You always have to go through that. And to the point, I'm like, oh boy, I just don't want to be here. Uh, right. Because you just feel, you always have to tell a story, right? Yeah. And I decided to, uh, 2001, I formed 
a nonprofit organization called BINA, Beta Israel of North America Cultural Foundation. Together with a few people, we wanted to do cultural showcases to increase awareness of Jewish diversity and so forth. And we did a lot of Shabbat dinners. Uh, we did film festival called the Sheba Film Festival, showcasing films from the Jewish, from the Black Jewish diaspora, going, you know, emphasizing on Ethiopian Jewry and screening film about the Ugandan, the, the Abba Yudaya, the South African Lemba, all of that to highlight that Judaism is uh, diverse and there are many more communities throughout the diaspora that you should know of and celebrate them. So that's what I did for about 16 years on inclusion and diversity. And from there, you know, I did so much lectures working with the Sephardic uh, Federation, uh, 92nd Y, 14Y, doing events early 2000. And eventually, you know, we saw the change in integration of Jews of color and acceptance and all of that stuff. And uh, a component that was missing from all of that was the food aspect. Always people wanted to know, so what is Jewish food? What is Ethiopian Jewish food? And I say, you know what? I think I'm just gonna show, I'm gonna open Zion Cafe and uh, show you what it is. And I wanted to bring my story in a plate to the Jewish community and beyond. The name Zion is Zion, is always in my heart, even though I'm not there. I'm sitting here in the West, my heart is always in the East. That's my ground, holding ground that I open where I'm inviting everybody to come and learn and try the delicious food of the Ethiopian Jewish uh, community and, and try to understand and bring a dialogue over a bread. I think it's a wonderful tool and easy thing to digest in a way, in many ways. And uh, we've been doing it for the last nine years, you know, in continuation of Bina, Bina Cultural Foundation, uh, what I have done in the early 2000s. So I am all about how do we bring visibility, uh, celebrating this mosaic of Jewish diversity uh, and be proud of who we are and empower ourselves in many ways. I love that. So what is Jewish food? <laughs> you brought it up. Sorry, it was your question. <laughs> Jewish food is whatever you are, whatever you eat, that is Jewish food. That's represent you, you know? And the beauty of Jewish food is I am Ethiopian. And for now, that is the way I cook. And that is my Jewish food. I incorporate the delicious flavors and, you know, celebrate who I am. So there is no per se... Oh, you know, you know, the whole controversy that's going on right now is about food. What is Israeli food versus uh, Jewish food? Israeli is what it is. You have immigrants from Tunisia, Morocco, Lebanese, Syrian. That's what they brought. And that is Jewish food as well. Nobody stole anything from anybody. We adapted. We brought what we are to the table. And that's what we are. We always be influenced for where we come from. So don't try to weaponize food now by saying, oh, that's not yours, that's me, because that's who I am. You cannot say Ethiopian food is not Jewish, because it is. I am Jewish, and that is my food. And you're Israeli, and then you bring the Israeli too. But let's talk a little bit, because I'm not sure everybody here. Actually, I don't even know. The injera, right, is like the plate. What's on yeah. it? What's on it is array of delicious stews that are made from ancient grains, such as lugam, red lentil, for example. Let's focus on that. 
red lentil is such a unique dish, adashim, right? This is a stew of red lentil that Esau lost his birthright to Jacob, if you recall. Jacob cooked nazid adashim, red lentil stew. It was so aromatic and delicious with cardamom, I believe, or maybe even barbara, uh, you know, that his brother was so tired and hungry that he come and say, I want, and he would say, Mea, doma, doma say. I want from that red stew of yours. And he said, you want it? But we have to bargain on something. I give <laughs> You're going to give me. So that's where my community is. Ancient, delicious dishes, stews. We focus on red lentil, but we have ground chickpeas. Again, chickpeas, uh, uh, split pea, cabbage, collard green, all of those cooked in different variation of level of heat or seasoning. And you put it on the flatbread injera, which is made out of very ancient grain called teff, which is gluten-free naturally, very nutritious, with a lot of vitamin and iron, you name it. It's the super grain. It's a very trendy food right now to be gluten-free. <laughs> but, you know, Ethiopian Jews been having it for thousands of years. And it could be cooked vegan. It could be cooked and non-vegan, you can cook it with butter. So mainly here at the restaurant, we cook it vegan, uh, just, you know, for dietary and, and so forth. Uh, you put it on a flatbread injera, and your injera is basically your plate and your utensils. You scoop it with the injera, and you eat. And you, of course, you know, we feed one another. Uh, Ethiopian food is all, all about sitting, communal, sharing, eating, feeding one another. We break bread together. So that's what Ethiopian food is. I love that. And on that note, you, I'm, we're going to come back, back and forth a little bit, but you mentioned that on Sunday, you're doing kind of a delayed SIGD festival at, so SIGD already passed. I just want to make sure. And, right. but this December 16th, the year is 2023, in case people are listening to this five years later, you're, you're doing a delayed SIGD. What, what made you decide to do this? And it sounds like it ties into the whole Injira concept too. I mean, we actually did one and the exact date. Uh, with oh, okay. of Shalom. We had a beautiful conversation. We had a double and we spoke about Sigd and all of that stuff. We're doing this coming Sunday, just inviting Jews from all over uh, to unite, break bread together and emphasizing on a Jewish, Ethiopian Jewish holiday called Sigd. Sigd is very unique and its own. Uh, it's a unique holiday specifically for the Ethiopian Jewish community because we hold on tight to a tradition that actually was done at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And when they were yearning for the return to the promised land, Zion, uh, they were in Babylon. So they were exiled and they wanted to return, correct? So in the Ethiopian Jewish community did the same thing back in Ethiopia, yearning for the return for the promised for many years. And that is symbolizing, you know, renewing the covenant between us and God, right? And then this, it, it has uh, many, you know, beautiful anecdote that it reminds of Yom Kippur because half of the day you fast and then the second half you have a festive meal. Some of it you go, up to a higher mountain with a rock in your back and you throw it down to let go of your scene and everything else. And you kind of starting at fresh, something that resembles Yom Kippur. It's a very 
unique or it even resembles Matan Torah because we go to the highest mountain and you let go of uh, whatever sin you're letting go. And you read from the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Psalms, and all of that stuff. So we are now, yeah, I went to Israel. Now when I'm again in exile, not exile, but in the diaspora, I think it's a unique holiday that people throughout the diaspora should celebrate as yearning for the unification of Israel, of rebuilding the temple, we hope, and yearning for peace, living with unity and peace and respecting Jews throughout the diaspora. So it's very much relevant holiday. Sigt, Sigt is bowing, least good. Uh, we, we need to humble ourselves in front of the creator and, and really bow and, and come uh, in a way of celebration of unity, of Jewish unification. So the symbolism of this particular sig that we're doing here is to bring for unification, celebration, and peace, especially, and healing for the Jewish people here and beyond. That's my hope. That's beautiful. I only wish I was in town. That was the, um, because it really just sounds wonderful. And I'm hoping that people from all the different communities, but you're located not in a very Jewish neighborhood, at least not to the best of my knowledge. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the neighborhood you're in and why you chose it? Uh, yeah, I we are located in Sugar Hill, Harlem. Um, you know, Jewish neighborhood. I decided to move to Harlem because I felt belong here. When I came to Harlem, I felt like I'm among my community. Uh, I saw a lot of brown, black people, and I felt at home in a way, because it's something that I didn't grow up in, in Israel. I always was a minority. And for me, right. coming to Harlem, I felt like, oh, great. This is my community, and I want to bring my unique culture and heritage to this new community of mine. So I am invested in Harlem, beautiful, rich culture and history. Uh, you know, of course, it has a Jewish root as well. But as a Black person, I felt I, I, I can make a change here. I can contribute to this community and celebrate my unique identity as a Black woman in Harlem. So, yeah, about 20 years ago, there was no more Jews, but I think Jews are taking over right now. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Harlem. Uh, we have uh, JCCs. In Harlem, we have about two or three Chabad. So I would say Jewish- That's always the first. <laughs> yeah, is building, uh, is growing nicely. And actually to tell you, Drora, I'm at the point of Zion Cafe, we are looking to make it kosher by next year and uh, being only vegan. That's my plan. So that's even, you know, the current situation put me push me to that level of bringing that aspect of my Jewishness that it took me a while to be kosher, but I'm now willing to go into it and be kosher on top of it. Well, I'll tell you, when you go kosher, you tell me we'll have a Unity Through Diversity event right there. Yeah. So, so let's continue a little bit just because this is the day and age we live in. Have you been affected by the October 7th and everything after that? Yeah, we definitely been impacted by this. Uh, and I would say even before the whole notion of, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on around the Jewish, Jewish control, this Jewish, this Jewish, that, you know, it's to the point where we actually been calling, uh, getting phone call threats 
uh, we're going to erase you out of map, you dirty Jews. Uh, wow. You know, where that came from, we had to tell the NYPD about it for a bit. Yeah, that happened pre-October 7th. And before that, actually, we had uh, even a swastika drawn in our uh, sign outside. We addressed that to uh, the NYPD as well. It's, everything is in file there with them. And October 7th comes even worse. It seems like there is a whole boycott list that's running around and we are one of it because we are at Sion Cafe and we, as you see, you can see it publicly. What am I standing for? Who I am? Uh, you know, I'm Israeli, I'm Ethiopian Jew, I'm a woman, no matter what, I'm here. So this is not new to me, the whole aspect of resilience. We went through this many times. It shouldn't be justification for it to happen over and over again. But right. we are resilience. We will be here. And uh, no matter what, we will overcome this. I love that. I love your passion too. And I'm sure everybody listening also. I think everybody's going to get in a car soon and come to Harlem. I don't know. <laughs> or sometimes a plane too. And yes, I, come in January, December, are we going to be kind of changing, making it kosher, all that stuff. If you want to celebrate with us, we'll announce a date when we are fully kosher. And January, would love for everybody to come and support us because we need the unity and uh, celebration of a Jewish people as a whole. Yeah, no, let us know, really. We will definitely spread the word because I'm sure people will be waiting to hear it. So I'm excited for that. Let's go back to some of our basic questions that we always try to end with. Um, two, two ones that we always, so we're going backwards and forwards. If you could go back and say something to your younger self about the Jewish narrative, about identity, about heritage, what would you want to say to her? Well, hmm. <laughs> you see, uh, the Jewish narrative, I think we all have to do our um, internal, uh, I would say, look into ourselves as a Jewish person, white, black, brown, all of that. And let's be more open and receptive, right? Receiving and inclusive as a whole and, and not you know, I wish that was the case. That's what I'm, I wish the Jewish world was more inclusive and receptive as it should be. That's my- It sounds like that's more for the future, but I'm with you. So that that's a great hope for the future as well. And, and it sounds like you're very involved in making sure people know that and people think about that. I mean, just from being on from this and I'm excited to join you for this journey now that we've met. So I hope that we continue this conversation because this is the start of something beautiful. I'm telling you, we have a lot of the same passions here and I want to make sure that we, um, we're going to do some things in Sion Cafe and we're going to make sure people know about it. And we're going to make sure that people remember this is our heritage. It's diverse, but it's still our heritage. So thank you very much, BJ. You're welcome. It was a pleasure, Drora. And uh, we are in, what is it, the seventh, seventh night of Hanukkah? Yep, it is. Six night, six night, six night. Chag Urim Sameach. Chag Urim Sameach. We have to keep, keep illumination all over the world. Never let the light go off. Thank you for listening. Join us in spreading unity by sharing these podcasts with others. Leave a review, suggestion, or comment wherever you're listening to this episode. 
Be a part of the reclamation. Subscribe to the Reclaiming Identity podcast on Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts. Check out our educational and communal content on YouTube at Jewish Unity Through Diversity. And partner with us in ensuring the future of our heritage by donating to this and other Jewish diversity projects today at www.unitytdiversity.com. That's unity, the letter T, diversity.com. Reclaiming Identity is produced and edited by Moshe Singer and executive produced by Dalia Arusi and Rora Arusi. Our theme music is by Vanessa Paloma. Be sure to check her out on Spotify.